0: We hear a lot about revival in the church world. Well, we're going to have a week-long revival. We're going to bring in a special preacher and have revival. But you know, there is a revival that I'm going to share in a minute it can't be contained in four walls. It goes on. And you know, revival is something we all need. I, I, I'll i take revival. And I believe that Christian life ought to be a series, a lifelong experience of endless revivals and refreshings from the time of the Lord, presence of the Lord. Now, how many of you can say, I would love a revival in my heart? Would you? Really? Well, you're going to hear how to do it today. So let's pray together for revival. But first I want to read this passage, Hosea 10 and verse 12. And look what it says. This is a recipe for revival. He said, so for yourselves, you got to do it. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time. Everybody say, it is time. To seek the Lord. Until when? Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. It's time to seek the Lord. Father. We thank you that now is the time. This is the day. This is the hour. And we pray that, Lord, revival will begin in every heart, every life here today. That not one person who is standing here today will not experience revival. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, revive me according to your word. That's the prayer of David. Revive me according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say with me, revival cometh? Revival. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, revival cometh, and you can be seated. I, I do believe revival cometh, but it's got to begin here. Now, I do want to talk to you today about how to prepare for revival. How do you prepare your heart for revival? Now, many of us, have, I've already said, are ending a fast today. Our prayer goal, the reason we did it, Was that God would send revival. And we prayed according to what Isaiah gave us in chapter 58 of the book of Isaiah, where he's talking about the fast that God honors and that he chooses, that he honors and that he blesses. And he said, here's the fast that I bless because this is what I want to do. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the heavy burden. Let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke of bondage. God said, that's my heart for people. Now, catch what God sees when God looks out at the human race. Here's what he sees. He sees bound up people. He sees burdened people. He sees oppressed people. And he sees broken enslaved people. And he says, my heart is to set them free, to minister to them, to touch them, to reveal my salvation to them. What an awesome promise that we have been called to be co-laborers with God, to destroy bondages, to undo burdens, to let oppressed people go free, and break the yoke of slavery to sin. And this is why we fast and pray. This is why we fast and pray. You know, Jesus said, he whom the Son frees is free indeed. And he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's not talking about being in a jail cell out here. He's talking about the prison that is within people until the Son of God sets us free. We are all imprisoned in the jail of sin, and Jesus came to set us free. Not only that, but to take the depression off of us, the burden off of us, and give us peace and joy. Now, we have prayed this week for God's maximum blessing on our church. And that his spirit will be poured out on our nation. And I believe the only hope left for America, honestly, is a move of God. But oh, listen, if we'll pray, God will move. Now, whether you're fasting or not, there is still a pathway to revival that he lays out for us. That is the prophet Hosea that we're going to look at today. The pathway to personal revival Because real revival begins with you and me. So how do you and I experience personal revival? Now, let me just take you back to last week real quickly and remind you of what real revival is. What does it mean when we say revival? I love this definition. Revival consists of a powerful intensification by Jesus of the Holy Spirit's normal activity. I like that. What is revival it is when the normal activity of the holy spirit is intensified because revival is all the work of the holy ghost i stand before you today as a preacher not because i decided to go into this career but because of the power of the holy ghost in my life without the holy ghost it'd be we'd be done for but thank god that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and he that is in us is the Holy Spirit. Now, revival is an intensification of the normal activity of the Holy Spirit. What is the normal activity of the Holy Spirit? Well, first, he is a convictor of sin. Jesus tells us in John 16 what the normal activity of the Holy Spirit would be, because right now the Holy Spirit is moving in this room, He's moving all over the Texas and all over the United States and he's moving all over the world. And what is he doing as he moves? Jesus said first he is convicting of sin. John 16 verse 8 said when he comes, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He will tell people, you have sin in your life. And you need to get that sin under the blood of Jesus. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be forgiven. And if you don't do it, there is a judgment coming. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some of you today have some sin in your life. And some of you listening by radio and watching by video have some sin in your life. And I'm not talking about conviction being guilt. Guilt, the Bible says, kills you. But conviction leads you to repentance. There is guilt that kills and there is conviction that leads to repentance and the Holy Spirit brings conviction where you all of a sudden go, wow, I know I'm in sin. I have sin in my life. I'm breaking God's laws. I need to bring these sins to Christ and let him forgive me. And that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. We would never know. I would have never known that I was in sin, but for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he shines his light on us It's like a bright light all of a sudden comes on and we see all the mice and all the cobwebs and all the spiders and all the junk in the rooms of our soul. And we say, Jesus, forgive me. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Second, he's not only a convictor of sin, but he's a communicator of truth. Right now, some, most of you are able to fully understand me because the Holy Spirit is communicating truth to you because I'm ministering the word of truth, his Bible. Jesus said when the spirit of truth comes, he called him the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what he has heard and he will tell you what is coming in the future. He's a communicator, an illuminator, a a giver, a teacher of truth. So when revival comes, what you see is an intensification of conviction and an intensification of the communication of God to you and I on his truth. I will never forget when I came to the Lord and and, and got filled with the Holy Spirit, how suddenly this word just came alive to me. What did that? Because all of a sudden, the teacher, the great teacher, the Holy Ghost, came to live inside of me. And he began to make that word. I remember turning to the book of Romans. I'll never forget it. I didn't even know what Romans meant. I didn't know that it was talking about a city where Paul had visited. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that when I opened it up and began to read those words, they jumped out at me. Why? Because the teacher, the communicator, the illuminator was living in my heart now, and that intensifies in revival. And then third, he is a glorifier of Jesus. He's a convictor of sin, a communicator of truth, and a glorifier of Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, verse 14 to 15, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me, he will glorify me. In revival, the Holy Ghost begins to move with greater intensity. And he never points at a man. He never glorifies a man. He never lifts up a man. All focus turns to Jesus. He is Jesus' cheerleader. And he says, look at him and be saved, and be healed, and be delivered. That's what he does. When the ministry of the Holy Spirit intensifies, these three activities of of the Holy Spirit increase as well. Convictor of sin, communicator of truth, glorifier of Jesus, magnifier of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has one message for people in our generation. Turn to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's your Savior. He's your healer. He's your deliverer. He's your answer. You will find yourself at the foot of the cross. You will find your identity in Him, your meaning in Him, your purpose in Him, your life in Him, your joy in Him, your peace in Him, your heaven in Him, your salvation in Him. In real revival, people come under conviction of sin in much larger than normal numbers. I've been privileged to be in one national revival, the Jesus move in the 1970s. Never forget it. People everywhere began to repent, began to turn to the Lord. People walking down the street would come under conviction of sin. Because we're talking about in revival, the Holy Spirit descends in power. You remember reading in Pentecost where he fell like fire on the heads of each of the disciples, the 120 that had been waiting and praying in that upper room? And the Holy Spirit was a tangible uh, presence. He fell in great power. He fell like a cascading waterfall. He, He moved like a tsunami wave of glory. He moved a very real presence. When the Holy Spirit falls, the whole community becomes aware of Christ. The realization of who Jesus is and the glorification of Him through worship and witnessing will intensify, increase, magnify, happen much more than normal in real revival. And good news, not one church, no one church can contain within its four walls a true revival. Any more than a hurricane can be limited to affecting only one house when it blows through a neighborhood. When the Holy Spirit falls on a place you can't control him you can't harness him you can't put him in a box you can't tell him where to go or not to go he falls and he begins to move and Jesus said he's like a wind and he blows and all of a sudden hearts are touched and they don't know how they don't know from where they can't understand why but people you never thought would be saved are suddenly under conviction and they become saved they turn to Christ I mean people that shock you people you can't believe They are suddenly convicted. What did it? A wind blew through the city. The great wind of the mighty Holy Ghost of the living God. And that's how it happens. I've seen it. It's a community-wide experience. And let me ask you a question. Does Fort Worth not need this? Does Arlington not need this? Does Johnson County not need this? Let me ask you another question. Does America not need this? oh yeah revival is also preceded by an expectation that God is about to do something exceptional There, there is a the people of God become pregnant with expectation if you could see me in the spirit I'd be walking like this (laughs) I'm pregnant I got expectation you ought to come waddling into church you're so great with vision Here's what happens. There's also an extraordinary unity and prayerfulness among Christians when there is about to be a revival. Intense prayer increases, and intense prayer precedes all true revivals. In other words, genuine revival is unmistakable, unforgettable, and unusual. There's no denying it when it happens. I was telling the first service, I was reading about one of my heroes in the faith, the great Charles Spurgeon from the 1800s. Greatest pastoral preacher to ever live. When he was 21 years old, he was preaching in a little country church. Magnificent, unprecedented gifting to just stand up and declare the word of God and preach the scriptures. Just unbelievable. But at 21 years old, he'd been preaching in a little country church and he got called to London, which was the metropolitan city of the world in that day. And as soon as he stepped into the pulpit, something began to happen. And revival swept London. Before long, they were building a 5,000-seat church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle when there was no auditory aids. There was no speakers, no microphones, no nothing. They built it with acoustics that were unbelievable. And this man would stand up and just preach the word. But somebody said to him, Charles, how has this happened? He said, I've got a secret they thought he was going to say, you know, I'm really brilliant. I've got a great way with words or I've just studied the scriptures a lot. He said, no, my secret is right beneath my feet because downstairs in the basement, right beneath my feet, every time I preach, there are a group of people praying and crying out to God. And so while I'm preaching the word to thousands, they're down there saying, God, touch them. God, move on them. God, bless them. God, save them. God, move in this house today. And so he said, I call it my oven. And I can do that, and they can hear me, and they can hit the ceiling, and I can hear them. But while they pray, I preach. Amen. Well, that's because prayer brings revival. Intense prayer increases and precedes all true revivals. Now, Hosea the prophet lays out a blueprint for how to have true revival. And it's amazing when you read about Hosea because he was sent to the backslidden people of God, the covenant people of Abraham, the Jewish people who had terribly walked away from God. That's all they ever did repent, return, walk away, repent, return, walk away. Now, Hosea is God's choice and he was seeking to draw his people back to him through Hosea's ministry, and he tells Hosea to tell them, What I really want to do is I want to rain righteousness on you. Now the word rain in the Bible is often symbolic of, of or in the Bible is often symbolic of revival. Revival. It's about to rain. It's beginning to rain. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, it's like rain. It's refreshing. It's powerful. <clears throat> and so the three steps that he lays out for us that we're about to look at are in perfect harmony. I couldn't believe this, but it hit me. Perfect harmony with the vision of Turning Point Church. Our vision is in reach, building Christ in every person. Outreach, reaching every person for Christ. And upreach, leading every person to worship Christ in spirit and in truth. Everything we do has to do with either in reach, outreach, or upreach. And I realized that Hosea's prophecy there are three steps, and they are first inward, then outward, and finally upward. There is an inward exhortation, an outward exhortation, and an upward. Now here's the first one. He says, first, break up your fallow ground. Fallow means uncultivated. It is a picture of hard ground covered with thorns and rocks. Hosea is speaking of the heart of people. You remember in Jesus' parable of Matthew 13 where he talked about the different soils that the word of God goes into. The thorny ground, the hard soil, the rocky soil, and then the good soil. And so here Hosea is echoing that thought that our hearts can be like hard, uncultivated, thorny, rocky, hard to plow ground. Hard for God to move on. All kinds of obstacles in our heart in the way of God moving. So the first step towards revival is always inward. It always begins with you and me. It begins with us. True revival begins in the hearts of believers. Because if it doesn't begin with us, who will it begin with? Who else is going to look out at the world and say they're perishing? What are we going to do? Who else is going to care with the the care of God but the church? So any revival has got to start right here. And I want to tell you, it's beginning to rain. Commentator Matthew Henry writes, Let us cleanse our hearts from all corrupt affections and lusts, which are as weeds and thorns. And let us be of a broken and a contrite spirit. Get the thorns out. Get the weeds out. Get the, get the corrupt affections. Get those things that your heart has locked onto that are not of God and bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, break this off of my life. The heart is like a little puppy looking for someone to love it. And you got to be careful what you let it walk up to and get attached to. Because it will attach. And every heart in here is attached to something today. Some primary thing possesses every heart here today. Something dominates everybody's day because something has everybody's heart. That's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Watch over it more than you would a safe in your house with a million dollars of jewelry in it because out of it flow the issues of life. How do we break up the fallow ground of our heart? How do we prepare for revival in our own lives? How do we do this? Well, one, You've got to allow the Word and the Spirit to search your heart and point out areas of uncleanness and disobedience. Listen to what David said. King David prayed in Psalms 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know what he's doing here? He's giving God permission to mess with his stuff. You know what I found out? The closer I get to God, the more he messes with my stuff. The closer I get to God, the more he messes with my thoughts, the more he messes with my relationships, the more he messes with my money, the more he messes with my morality. The closer I get to God, the more I find out he messes with my stuff. But folks, if he messes with your stuff, it's so that he can fix your stuff. That's why he does it. That's why a lot of people won't come to a church that reads the Word of God and preaches it. There's churches you can go to, you don't ever have to worry about being convicted. Because you're never going to hear the Word of God. But then you're never going to be changed. The Word of the Lord changes us, and we need to get it right. David says, he goes on to say, Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Wow, he's giving carte blanche permission to God to mess with any of the stuff in his life that God needed to speak to. That's powerful. Point out anything in me that offends you, Lord, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now watch me. This Bible is a mirror. It's a morning mirror. How many of you have been shocked lately looking at yourself in the morning? How many of you realize you're aging? Have you lately gotten up and just gone in there without thinking? and look? Oh, oh, it's you. Where'd that come from? I didn't notice that last week. That's because you're all aging. You know what? You're not the same person who was here last week. You've aged a little bit. Now, the Bible says that when we open up, everybody hold up your Bible. Hold up your Bible. Now, what you have there is a mirror. And the Bible says in the book of James that when you open it up, and you look into it, you're looking into a mirror that shows you the person of Jesus Christ, and when it shows you the person of Jesus Christ, it then shows you your reflection, and where you're not like Him, and where you are like Him, it shows the zits, the blemishes, the wrinkles, all that stuff that's on your spiritual face, and James said, here's what you don't do don't read it and don't look in it and don't see yourself in the mirror and then put it down and walk away and forget what you saw. That's why some people won't read this book because they don't want to see themselves in the mirror. David said, I want you to point out anything in me that offends you and then second, deal with what he shows you. If you want revival in your own heart, you got to deal with what he shows you. <clears throat> you can't just say, well, yeah, I saw that in the mirror, and I'm about to tear this pulpit up. You know, I broke a pulpit one time. I hit it so hard that I broke it. I Seriously, it was a dove plexiglass pulpit. And I got so excited, I hit it and broke the dove's tail. And there was this... Gasped from the audience because they felt like the tale had to have been sacred. (laughs) Huh? Oh, Kathy says don't leave it because we're on TV. There. Now, watch this. Don't look at this and say, oh yeah, I see that blemish and I see that wrinkle and I see that, and then put it down and forget what you saw. But it said, do something about it. If you want revival, whatever he shows you, in your own life allow him and you together to fix it so if it's moral if it's financial if it's relational whatever it is say lord i want revival it's coming under the blood what i saw let's fix this you and me together and god has better than clear as he has blood that washes it all away and he has a book of wisdom and he knows how to make right what is wrong he does So, allow the Word to search you. Deal with what He shows you. And then third, practice daily repentance. The Bible says that we should never let the sun set on our anger or our sin. The first step in revival is daily repentance. Break up the fallow ground of your heart. If you will practice daily repentance, you can never get further from God than 24 hours. Say, Lord, today I'm in Your Word. Today I'll do whatever it shows me. And I will fix whatever You show me. Now, second... He says, if you want revival, you've got to sow for yourselves righteousness. Now, the first step was inward. Deal with my heart, Lord. Second step to revival is outward. And that is toward people. Hosea is telling us that to experience revival, we must sow righteousness. Where? What does he mean? Good works to other people, for other people, unto other people, bless other people. He's telling us that experiencing a revival, we've got to sow righteousness into the lives of others. You know, I noticed this week during this fast, reading Isaiah 58, it really struck me. He was telling us that while you're denying yourself food, here's what I want you to do. Is fasting not a time, says God, to share your food with the hungry? And bring the poor man into your house who has no home of his own? Is it not a time to give clothes to the person you see who has no clothes? And a time not to hide yourself from your own family. See how he messes with our stuff? While you're walking around going, oh, I'm so hungry. Then he says, well, take the food you were going to eat and give it to someone else. Go bless people. You know why I'm a merciful man? Because I need mercy. Whatever you want in the field of your life, then you've got to sow for it. He said, Instead of cursing others, bless them. Instead of judging them, we receive them. Instead of selfishness, we give. Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was hungry and you fed me. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. His disciples said, What are you talking about? You've never been in prison. You've never been hungry. When did we do this for you? He said, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it for me and to me. In other words, Jesus was big on blessing others. Instead of walking around angry, instead of walking around living a selfish life, the fastest way out of depression is go bless somebody else. Remember the words of Paul. He said, you will always harvest what you plant. So I see a field in front of me, and you have a field in front of you, and it's my field, and it's your field. And what's in it that's going to come up when the rain hits it? Thorns, briars, stickers, weeds? A selfish life coming back on you? Or will it will be fruit, joy, love, peace. Long-suffering gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, the goodness of God following you everywhere you go. Favor on your life. It's all on what you sow. You're going to get what you sow later than you sow it and more than you sowed. So blessing others is the kind of sowing that precedes revival. If we want revival, let's go bless people. Let's just go do good things for people. And then third... Hosea says, seek the Lord. Now, first, watch this. God dealt with the inward, our hearts. Second, he dealt with the outward, how we treat others. And now, third, he's dealing with the upward. And he says, I want you to seek the Lord. I love the promise in Hebrews 11, verse 6. I've leaned on it many, many times. He says, anybody who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards. Can you say with me, he rewards Now say it like you believe it. He rewards. That's pretty good. Y'all are not convincing me. I'm glad you're not preaching. No, I'm kidding. Say it with me now. He rewards. Who does he reward? Those who sincerely go after him. That's who he rewards. He's going to reward you if you go in hot pursuit of him. I've always found it true no matter what I was going through, that it was always the thing to do to seek God. In really bad times, in good times, seek the Lord. When you're in trouble, listen, seek the Lord. When things are going well, you better seek the Lord. When Satan is attacking, seek the Lord. When you don't know what to do, do the one thing you do know to do. Seek the Lord. Because he knows if you're seeking him. He watches your eyes turn towards him. When you're there in the morning saying, Lord, I'm here to seek you, he knows that he's watching. Jesus said, he sees you in secret and he will openly reward you. King David was a great seeker of the Lord. I think this is why God called him a man after his own heart. Perhaps no psalm portrays the hunger for God more than Psalms 42, 1 and 2. Listen to David. As the deer pants for streams of water, so I pant for you. That's picturing somebody that is major thirsty. The tongue is swollen. The eyes are wild looking for water. It's the deer in the, in the country, in the wild, that is looking for that stream of water because he's so thirsty, he's panting. David said, that's me. That's me towards God. Some people pant for money. Some people pant for fame. Some people pant for immorality. David panted for God. But he didn't stop there. He turned his hunger for God into a disciplined plan of action. He said, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I want to see your power and your glory. I've been to church looking for it. I'm looking for it in my private life. I'm looking for the power and the glory of God, Lord. One commentator said he would seek God before other things came in to distract and divert his attention. The commentator goes on. The favor of God was the supreme desire of his heart. And that desire would be indicated by his making God the earliest, the first object of his search. He resolved that his first thoughts, his best thoughts should be given to God. Spiritual life flourishes most and only in the soul when we make God the first object of our affection and desires. My personal commitment, most of the time, every once in a while, I'll vary, and that's just being honest, but most of the time, no Bible, no breakfast. Because I have food Jesus told the disciples that you know not of. My food is the word of God. My food is the red ink, the words of Jesus. Hey, I told the first service, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for me, is like going to Del Frisco's. Galatians is my steak. Ephesians is my potatoes. Philippians is my salad with ranch dressing. Man, I'm about to go to the restaurant right now. (laughs) Revelations is my hot fudge sundae. I love the word of God. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you put him first. When he gets the best of my time, the best of my strength, and the best of my attention, the stage is set in my life for personal revival. Stand with me, would you? Say with me, we must get our inward hearts right. Our outward relationships, right. And our upward relationship with God, right. I'm going to ask there to be as little movement as possible. Please don't walk out yet. Nobody's going to get in front of you. You'll get home on time. But right now, God's touching people. See, the Holy Spirit's been ministering this whole time. We prayed all week long that God would bless you help you and maybe today you can say Pastor Jeff I used to walk with the Lord but I have drifted and I need to be revived why would you go to your car and drive away without settling that today and maybe some of you here today have never known for sure that Jesus was living in your heart by faith you can do it today right now Holy Spirit's already been dealing with you. I know it. Before you ever came here today. Or you wouldn't be here. There is a hunger deep down inside of you to settle this issue. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer, can we? And if you can say today, Pastor Jeff, that's me. I know it is. He's been dealing with me in the night seasons. He's been talking to me as I go through my workaday world. I know he's calling me higher. I know he's calling me to a deeper commitment. Or I know he's calling me to settle the issue of my salvation. This is your hour. This is your time right now. If you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories and I know it, and I'll let you pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Raise it right now quickly, real high, all over this place. Just raise it. I see you everywhere, many of you. I want to pray for you today. I prayed for you all week long.